This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, and thank you that your mercies are new every morning, and the sun that comes up as it's new every morning, Lord, we pray that you would uh, teach us now uh, new in Jesus' name, amen. So turn now in your Bible to Matthew chapter 10. We're gonna cover two verses this morning, and they are in Matthew 10, 19, but when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, For it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now, so far we've seen the Lord Jesus, he was moved with the sight of the multitudes of the Jewish people as he looked on them. And what he saw when he saw them was he saw lost. He saw people who were lost without God. He saw people who were lost in religion, in a religion of do, 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 do. He saw people that were lost in their exhaustion of trying to try to do all of these things. He saw people that were just lost in just wandering around in life without any sense of real meaningful purpose, no real meaningful direction. He saw them as lost of all because of what he called them having no shepherd, no shepherd. And it was all this lost, lost, lost condition of the Jewish people that drove him into calling them, not the house of Israel, but to calling them in verse six, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So for him, the people were lost sheep of the house of Israel. They were lost and he wanted to do something about that to make them no longer lost, but to become saved sheep of the house of Israel. So his plan to accomplish this involved 12. It involved 12 men that he would pour himself into. It involved 12 men that he would live with. 
It involved 12 men that he would let into the inner sanctum of his life, into his personal holy of holies. It would involve these 12 that he would he would pour knowledge into, he would rebuke when they were wrong, he would correct them so they'd be right, he would instruct them on how they should live, and he would encourage these 12. And all of this was for the purpose of him eventually passing the baton off so they could carry on the work after he left planet Earth. So now in this section that we're in right now, he's preparing these 12, He's being very open with them, very honest. He's telling them like it is. He's telling them where to go. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's telling them where not to go. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. That's a future phase of the ministry. He's telling them that it's time now to reach the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's giving them a message, and the message is essentially time is very limited. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's telling them that. In verse 7, he's giving them special powers to authenticate all of the authority that he's given to them. And then he's telling them that, look, you have been great receivers of the grace of God. You've been great receivers of God's blessings. So become great givers because great receivers should not become great hoarders. And now he's, he's preparing them also by telling them that your life with God has got to become a life of trust. You have to trust God for what you need. You have to trust God if you need shoes, you gotta trust God for shoes. You need coats, you gotta trust God for coats. You need walking sticks, you, got, you need meat, you need a place to stay. Trust God, that's gonna be your new mode of life. Now he's come in now to a section here which is very serious, which is very sad, and he's telling them that your title is going to be sheep in the midst of wolves. You are sheep in the midst of wolves, which means you're gonna have a lot of opposition against you. Opposition, and it's, it's very bleak, it's very depressing what he's saying here because he's telling them that look, as sheep in the midst of wolves, you don't run from the opposition, but you learn how to operate within the opposition. You learn how to carry on your ministry, and you do this by becoming what he called wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So he tells them, look, to be clear, your enemies are men, men who hate you, men who will accuse you, men who will beat you, men who will bring you before judges so they'll condemn you. Now, if you and I can just picture for a minute that we were there, if we were there, we'd hearing all this, this is terrifying. This is absolutely terrifying, especially about that part about being brought before the rulers and the judges and being accused and realize that when that happens, you get one opportunity, one opportunity to defend yourself. You get one chance to set the record straight. And there's no question about whether or not, when you read this, if you're part of the 12, there's no question about whether or not you're gonna be brought. There's no if about it. He didn't say, you notice that in verse 19, he didn't say, if you are delivered up, he said, when 
It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, in verse 19, when they deliver you up. So this is terrifying. This is just terrifying. And you know what's amazing when we look at this here? What's amazing is that not one of the 12, not one single person of the 12 said, scourged, delivered up, uh, I'm out. Uh, you know, I'd rather have lunch. My fisherman career is really a lot less dangerous. There's not one of them who dropped out. And that's intriguing, and you gotta ask the question, why? Why not? Why didn't any of the 12, when they heard all of this, just say, it's not for me? And the reason is because they, none of them dropped out because they all saw themselves as lost without Christ, without the Lord Jesus. They saw themselves in their lives as just drifting without the Lord Jesus. They saw that they didn't really have any meaningful purpose in life that except to just survive without the Lord Jesus. So even though they understood loud and clear from what he was saying, they were giving up their safety in life. They were giving up their security of knowing what their lives was gonna be, what's gonna happen in the future. They were giving up their families, they knew that. They were giving up their friends, they were giving up any possibility of uh, making a lot of money in life. And they were basically, as far as a, a life of comfort and ease, they knew that they had to forget about it. Now, they, and they were all willing to do that. Not one of them dropped out. Now, the Lord has told them clearly that they're gonna be prisoners. They're gonna be prisoners, and as always with prisoners, they'll be held, arrested, held, charged with a crime, and then the opportunity is gonna come for the trial later on. So naturally, a prisoner in that state waiting for his trial in prison, he's thinking a lot about what he's gonna say. He's going over and over again in his mind about what he's gonna say, and if you and I were in that state, we'd do the same thing, but we do the same thing even though we're not prisoners. Something important's coming up, we act like a prisoner that's waiting for a trial, and we go through the what ifs in our minds. I don't know if you do that, but I'm the master of the what ifs. You know, what if this happens, then I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna say that, no, what if that happens, I'll do this. For example, tomorrow, tomorrow morning in our company, we have a very important meeting coming up with one of our customers, and they scheduled two hours, and we looked at the agenda, and we said, that's not a two hour meeting, that's a seven hour meeting. And we're sitting there pouring over the presentation and over and over again. And what if our customer says this? Oh, we're gonna do that. What if this happens? Oh, we're gonna do that. And it really becomes a, you know, kind of an anxiety deal. You know, it was a, a picture of someone who did this was the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son, he wanted it now. That was him. He wanted it now. The prodigal son, he saw women in the world, lots of women that looked like fun to him. And so he knew he needed money to have this good time with these loose women. And so he knew the fastest way to get all that money that he needed was instead of waiting for his father to die, that he would just go ahead and ask his father if he could have the inheritance right now before his father died. And he did that, and his father was, was very gracious, and he gave him the inheritance early. And so off the prodigal son went, and he found all those party girls, 
And he spent all that money, like pouring money on the ground, like pouring water on the ground. That's what it was like. His whole life could be characterized at that point as here today, gone tomorrow. And that's exactly what he found. All those fun girls were all here today, but when the prodigal son's money ran out, they were gone tomorrow. The tomorrow came when the money ran out and they were gone. And the prodigal son was broke and he needed to work to survive, to get money. And so he ended up getting a job feeding pigs. It's a very undignified job for anybody, especially so many Jewish feed pigs. And he was so hungry that he just wanted to eat the food that he was feeding to the pigs. And so he realized that that state, that's what broke him. What he realized is that he'd been wrong, so very wrong. And it was time for him to return home. And the phrase that's used in Luke 15 is that he came to himself. He came to himself. Just like when he was out there wanting to do all that fun time with those women, he left himself. And now he finally returned back, says in Luke 15, 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? Now notice what he says here. He says, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before thee am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He's thinking. And he arose and came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am more worthy to be called thy son. Yeah. See? Okay, by the way, that's all he said, because he didn't say that last part, make me as one of hired servants. He planned on doing that, but he didn't do it. So he comes to himself, he realizes that he's wasted his inheritance, he's wasted his family relationship, he's wasted his future, and he's just about to waste his very life itself, and then turns around and tries to recover. But what we saw him doing there in that passage, Luke 15, 18 through 19, is he's thinking, he's thinking about what he's going to say. He's thinking, and he's going over, he's thinking about the exact words that he's going to say and he's going over and over again, and we can be sure there were there must have been a lot of drafts in his mind. Well, I'm going to say this. No, I'm going to say that. Oh, this is a better word. Oh, I'll say it this way. Though. And he's thinking about, what, what if? What if my father is so angry he doesn't even come out to talk to me? Now what am I going to do? What if he just un my father just unloads on me and tells me what a terrible son I've been? What am I going to do then? What if my father just says, you know what, it's finished with you and me, and now you're rejected and you're disowned as a son? So each of these what ifs, all this anxiety going over his mind, and here's the Lord says, in that kind of situation, that kind of scenario, in verse 19, when they deliver you up, take no thought, don't be anxious. Take no thought how or what you shall speak. The prodigal son was thinking about what he was going to say, but he wasn't just thinking about the words, getting the right words. He's also thinking about how he's going to say it. What position his body is going to be in. Is he going to be crumped down or stand up? And any of you is going to hold his head up or is going to hold it down? And he's going to look at his father's face. So a lot of choreography going on in his mind. And that's why the Lord said, take no thought how or what you shall speak. He didn't say take no thought what 
and how you shall speak. And it's significant that the Lord puts the how in front of the what. Because we tend to worry about more about how we're going to say something before we worry about getting the exact, we craft out the words, get the right words. So it's just like this prodigal son. We want to do a really good job of bringing our points across. So we practice how we're going to do it. You know, I know a friend of mine who's a pastor, and in his study there, preparation of study, he's got a big mirror with a Bible front there and preaches to the mirror, you know. Anyway, so the thing is, is that whenever a person does all that taking thought for how and what's going to said, what happens is that is that he gets caught up in the performance of it all. And he ends up, what happens is he ends up, he doesn't know, but he ends up suppressing what people are really looking for. Because what people are really looking for is just a plain, sincere openness. That's what they want to see. People want to hear from someone who speaks from the heart. And all that studying to hit the right word and say it with the right eloquence, it just becomes kind of an obstacle to the free flow from the heart. And you can see this difference between the prepared, perfect words and flawless eloquence versus the spontaneous speaking from the heart. When Paul spoke from his heart when he was accused by a hired professional orator named Tortullus, Acts 24.2, when he was called forth, it says, Tortullus began to accuse them, saying, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness and very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldst hear of us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes who also hath gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. You know, if someone like that talks, you better grab a dictionary to find out what some of those words are that he's saying there and you get really impressed, you know. Okay, then it comes Paul's turn, Acts 24.10. Then Paul after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because thou mayest understand that there were yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship, they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. All right, so that's quite a contrast between the, you know, the, the eloquent professional orator and Paul who just speaks right off the cuff and tells it like it is. And the result was, as far as Felix was, the judge, the result was in Acts 24, 23, three Acts, he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and let him have his liberty and he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. So what happened? The professional orator Tertullus came across as sterile, he came across as cold, he came across as polished. But when Paul said, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, he came across as happy to respond, and he was believed. Paul was believed 
over the academic, eloquent other guy, Tertullus. And this is what the Lord is talking about. To get rid of anxiety drives a person to take thought for what he's going to say and how he's going to say it. That's why it says in Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. It's easy to say that. It's really easy to say, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious for anything. That's easy. But the question is how? How do you do that? How do you not be anxious for anything? Well, the answer is in that. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. In other words, prayer that trusts God, trusting God that leads to praying to him and knowing that what will happen will be the answer to prayer. That will be the answer to prayer. You asked. It may not be what you want, but if you asked, you got your answer. Anxiety is really to second-guess God. It's to second-guess God and say, well, you know, maybe God said not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that's not the best for me. No, I feel anxiety. I feel like I'm missing out. Every day that goes by and I don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'm missing out. So trust removes this anxiety. Trust in God removes the anxiety. Now, that's what the Lord is saying here when he says uh, specifically, you trust in God, you don't be so anxious, you go over all what you're gonna say, how you're gonna say it. You trust in God because you've got a promise in your hand. And the promise is, in verse 19, the promise is when they deliver you up, take no thought for how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you'll speak. That's the promise. The promise is it'll be given you in that same hour what you're gonna speak. That's a promise of a gift. That's a JIT, J-I-T, just in time. That's a just in time gift because it's not gonna be given before you need it, but it's gonna be given exactly, the response is gonna be given, not, and it's not gonna come too late, and it's not gonna come early, it's gonna be, oh, you know, you, you know, not gonna be too late. You, you're not gonna sit there and say, ah, I should have said that. No, not gonna happen. The promise is gonna be just the right words given at just the time that you need it. And so the Lord said, and by the way, you look at what the Lord said. The Lord said, don't worry about how and what you're gonna say, because you know, we tend to put the how in front of the what. Don't worry about how you're gonna say it and what you're gonna say. But when the Lord responded, the Lord only said that it would be given what you're gonna say. He didn't say anything about the how. He didn't say anything about that. And the reason is because when you focus on the how, you come off staged. And so the Lord wanted his 12 concentrate on what you're gonna say, become married to the message, and the how will come off natural. The more the person puts an emphasis on the what you're gonna say, and not on the how, the more he gets out of the way of the message and its impact. So this promise here in verse 19 of being given just what you're gonna need to say at the time, it's extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. Like the parting of the Red Sea. That was extraordinary. It was far from ordinary. It didn't happen every day. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.